Welcome to the Trail Ahead, conversations at the intersection of race, environment, history, culture, and the outdoors. We're your hosts, Addie and Faith. We bring on folks from all walks of life to have real, authentic, messy dialogue that can lead to tangible change. In order to give you more and increase our ability to really engage with you, dear listeners, we started a Patreon and we would so appreciate your support. So please check that out at patreon.com slash the trail ahead. We've also added a new element to our website and you can now leave us voice messages with questions and comments. On future episodes, we might include some of your voicemails. We'll, of course, ask you first. And we'll also respond to questions during our new debrief section of the pod. So please leave us a message at trailaheadpodcast.com. Here's a sneak peek from today's guest. I wish that people walked around singing. I wish that was a very normal thing to do, like that humans just walked around and sang to themselves. I sing when I run. Yeah, me too sometimes. Yeah, I'm running in the city and I feel like we're all a little doing our thing so no one's really paying attention. I'm like, I hope someone hears it and they're like, that's a great song. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I like to sing while I'm running. I feel like running feels like dancing. I have to really get into it, right? The voice you just heard is Noelle Russell, our guest this week. She is someone who delightfully does not fit into a box. She is a producer, a writer, a van lifer, and so much more. And she's someone whose words I often look to for encouragement and truth. We hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. I'm Noelle Russell, and I have two dogs. That's what I say as my intro, (laughs) because that's how I identify. I also identify as she, her. I also identify as a big fan of Ohlone Chechenyo land here in Oakland, California. I am a Mexican-American, and I work in digital marketing and communications, and I have a really, really big van and two small dogs and a small husband. (laughs) I love that. Love that. Shout-outs to Johnny. Um, Okay. So I was struggling some time back, still am and always, about running and pressure and identity and feeling all this pressure to be like performing in a specific way based on other people's ideas of like me being like badass or whatever the perception was. And you were like, oh, I don't want to do it if it's not cute. (laughs) And that was like, So amazing and freeing, but I think also the confidence and decisiveness with which you said and owned that, like really had a, had a significant impact on me. I was like, oh my God, she just was like, no, this is who I am and this is how I want to be. And I just wanted to ask you about like, have you always been that way? And like being in this outdoor environment with a lot of our work and play having this idea of this is the way you're supposed to do it and it should be like climbing all the mountains or whatever it is. How do you navigate that space? Oh, that's such a good question. I've wanted to always be that way. I was raised in a family that really celebrated life, even in its mess. And I think that really inspired and encouraged me to look for loveliness in everything and be content in that. And so surely it's climbing to the top of a mountain every day or like jumping out of a helicopter to ski. If that's your joy and that's your lovely, yes. And if you feel cute doing it, do it. (laughs) For me, I want to be aware of what feels lovely for me and what feels like flourishing. It was for years running marathons. And now it's still running, but it's not running that hard or that long, maybe a little bit sometimes that long, but only when it feels like me being authentic and true to what serves me well. There was a story I read a long time ago, and there was a line in it that said, finding beauty in the mundane. And I think that finding beauty in the mundane makes us grateful for where we're at and what we have, even if we're not in a place to push ourselves or that pushing ourselves feels good. 
you're just in a regular day and you wake up a little bit late and that's lovely and you're okay and things are going to be good or they're not and it's still going to be okay, right? I think contentment builds confidence because if you're not always trying to check boxes or reach something or prove something, then what do you have left? Like you should have you, like the whole of you, and that should be enough. And so I I think that it's easy sometimes to distract ourselves with those things, but it's maybe a little bit harder to find that beauty in the mundane, say like, I am me, and today my hair looks pretty nightmarish, and I'm like way fine with it, because it's just not a hair-doing day for me. Or this summer is not going to be all these epic backpacking trips that I check off, because it's been two years of a pandemic, and I'm tired. So I'm probably going to sit by the lake more. And I think I deserve that. And that's a good thing too. So I think recalibrating how we measure success in our own lives has been something that I've always really wanted to do. I think that there's always disillusionment in that because there's nothing. You don't look to the right or left of you in society and that goes, good job. You're just doing what works for you. Like every, you were supposed to do more and want more. But gosh, if you can fight against that, like if you can fight against what the whole world says, or popular culture says you should do, then you're more badass than you ever like imagined. Because that's a force to reckon with. But it's up to you. Totally. I love (laughs) all of it so much. It's so true. It's you trying to be good with you. And very often that is like in spite of every societal and otherwise message that you are getting. Yeah. Yeah. I had a teacher growing up where we had this sign that we made in the classroom because she would always say this over and over again. Competence brings confidence. And then we'd flip it and confidence brings competence. And we'd be like, ha ha ha, it goes both ways. But what you just said completely unravels it in the best way for me of contentment brings confidence. And then there's a list of other things, joy, self-acceptance, so many components. And I think that in this world where, at least for me, I'm constantly comparing myself, whether I like it or not. I'm like, oh, I'm not on Instagram that much. I'm on it. I just don't post. I'm looking at other people and their either accomplishments, their mountain summits, their heli skis, or their summer plans. And I'm kind of like, suddenly I feel worse about myself for not doing any of those things. I know you talk a lot about contentment as a sort of like radical state of mind. You've said it's one of your favorite things to talk about. It seems like it's been a strong theme in a lot of what you've written to date. I feel like we get asked a lot just as people, what are your goals or like list your achievements and imposter syndrome is real. So that's Mm -hmm. a thing. But on top of that, I was always like intimidated or saddened by that. I I have a friend who is really good at poking holes in things. And she always says, what's my dream job? My, my dream is not a job. Let it be known. Like, I think when people ask us to like, show our notches or show the, these markers for achievement, it can be really disillusioning and marginalizing and excluding of so many other definitions of like, what is flourishing for you versus what's flourishing for the person right next to you or the plant next to you or your dog. And so I think in feeling sad or disillusioned or disappointed by those questions, I really wanted to challenge myself to flip that and recognize that not that goals aren't for me, but I'm really good with how things are. And if they keep being this way forever, How amazing would that be? There's like really also lovely things that we could layer on top of that that may or may not come. I think that there's a lot that society, capitalism, colonization, like really latches onto around this feeling of like, if it's like this forever, is it going to be good? Or what if it's like this forever? And I think this is this question that we ask ourselves and we find anxiety about, especially I think through the past two years, right? I think I asked myself this, what if this is it? And this being it doesn't have to not be good. And so I think maybe coming to speak more, meditate more, or focus more on the idea of contentment was really, honestly, was like the most unromantic way of saying it, but it was out of self-preservation. Like I cannot be sad and disappointed about myself all the time. And I, 
And I can't let that be a motivating factor for what I'm doing or the decisions I'm making or the things I'm buying. That's just not fair to me. And it also lines the pockets of people in power that I don't want to support. So, and ideologies that I don't want to support. By finding a, a new way to frame up some of the ways I look at myself and the world around me to not hurt, to be like safer and more lovely. And that seems like mild or gentle or meek or whatever. But actually, when I look back on it, I'm like, it's so freaking badass. That is the fiercest thing you can do is to say, not today, Satan, like to capitalism, to colonies, like to all these ideologies that are really oppressive and marginalizing and hurt people to say, like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I am going to harness the values that my ancestors probably hope and dream that we would still embrace. And if this is this forever, that's good. And and if it's not, that's good too. And not in like this like stereotypical way of if you manifest it, it'll be. No, that's not true. Life is hard, right? Like there are very hard things that we have to deal with. And it's, I think, very understandable that there's times in our life where we're like, there's not a whole lot of lovely, but there are still things to be grateful for. I want to take care of myself better and I want people to take care of themselves better and I want to take care of each other better. There was something you wrote, Noel, that was like a friend asked me where I want to be in five years. And I said, if I'm here, I would be stoked. Like right here. This is where I want to be. And I love that because I think that it is such a radical thing to think about how little I encounter contentment in my day with myself. And then also from others, because I feel like it's very common to ask these questions of three to five years, where do you see yourself? I think it's really imbued in our society in a pretty deep way. So I love that piece of writing you did. That would be cool if we were in the same space. It like takes stock of a a lot of the things in my life that I'm grateful for when I read your words. So thank you for that. (laughs) You're welcome. It's like going back to like scarcity and abundance. There's enough. There's enough. And we don't have to always be grabbing for the next thing. I love that. Yes. (laughs) A couple of things. One, you saying grabbing for the next thing reminded me of right before the pandemic (laughs) when we were sharing a wine and cheese plate (laughs) in Oakland and how wonderful it was. And one of the things that you said since then was like, I can't wait to be touching (laughs) food with other people again soon, which I totally feel the same way about. I was like, get me to a buffet or like, get me like, where's the charcuterie and cheese platters when someone touches it? And then they're like, wait, I didn't want that piece of cheese. And then they set it back down. And then you're like, I want that cheese. And then you get it. And we don't do that anymore. And I just want people to touch my food. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Totally. Like being raised in a big Mexican family, like eating food and everyone touching each other and touching food and everything is such like a, feels like such a comfy and lovely place. I am certainly not worried about whose cup I'm drinking something out of. Noelle, you mentioned your, you've mentioned a few times now your family and your upbringing. And I, we wanted to ask you more about what that was like, because it sounds like such a formative part of your life and who you are today. Yeah. Yeah, I grew up with, I like my, I have enough cousins to form a whole football team, like a professional <laughs> football team, like with, with like Please deep, do. deep, see, like you, there's multiple people for each position. Like we can sub people in for a long time. Um, We grew up going to my grandma's and being around like all of us cousins were always at my grandma's and just being around each other forever. So I feel like I got to grow up with tons of siblings and lots of love and also lots of mess and it was fine and everyone is okay it was a real gift to be able to be raised like that it did form a lot of who I am and what I value and what I care about and how I think about people a big chunk of that was because of my grandma on my mom's side who is probably was never a human to begin with. We were just like blessed to be in her light for a long time. And she was like the grandmaster of loveliness. She just made sure everything 
was good and wonderful. And it wasn't big stuff, like everyone getting their own single runny egg in the morning and their own tortilla to eat it with. And then when we were even like a little older, she always had this like toallita, like this napkin that she would keep on her apron and it was always warm and it had like other food on it. And me and my sisters were talking about it the other day. When you were done, she would wipe our faces. Lots of kids wipe all of our faces with the same toallita. And then we'd go out and play. And we were like talking about like how loved we felt by all being wiped with this toallita. And like how we just wish when we were done eating, maybe someone would just walk over and wipe our face, like to make sure we looked nice, you know? She always would walk us out to the ice cream truck and we would always have to split those popsicles with the two sticks, but we could, which was always like pissed us off, but it was also just the best because she like wouldn't let the ice cream truck walk. And we didn't have a lot. There was an opportunity for something to be better than it could be. She was always here for it, like chopping up oranges and setting us in the middle of her. She had these rose bushes in the backyard and we'd sit down on the ground, we'd eat our oranges. I think that there were so many romantic moments growing up as a child that were like the most basic things. But everything that I dream of when I, whenever I'm really stressed out, there's things you should think of that calm your heartbeat. I think of eating sliced oranges under the roses in, on a really hot day in San Jose on really hard soil in the little teeny backyard and just like thinking I was on vacation. It was such a perfect thing. I think all of us that got to be around her will live longer for it. My friend jokes that ICUs and emergency rooms don't know, like still aren't set to, up to handle BIPOC families because they were like, the, the day she left us, they had us in the hallway. We we're like laying on the, everybody was everywhere. There were people coming. My husband jokes, he's like, when am I going to stop meeting new family members? There was one of those moments where there's like people coming. My mom's like, that's your cousin. I'm like, that's not my cousin. They're very old. But it was one of those days where like every, you just met a bunch of people and everyone was there. Back to accomplishments. I don't think that it's that you have so many letters behind your name or that you can rattle off these publications that you've been a part of or where you've spoke. I think that it's if you're having a tough time in life and people come out of the woodwork literally to be by your side, you did everything right. Every single thing. And this is someone that would never be written about in any magazine or any book. Like no no one other than those people that day will know who my grandma was or is. But I feel like she was and is like a big hero and she really sacrificed a ton for us to have those oranges in the backyard. So my mom's an immigrant. My mom used to always tell me, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad we went through all that because you're here. Do you know how great it is that you're here? I do feel like there is this preciousness that is very palpable to me about life where I'm like, I'm here. My mom went through hell. My grandparents went through literally hell and I'm here and I'm just like here and I have like really cold water in a bottle next to me and two dogs going to sleep and it's sunny. I'm just living my grandma's dreams, like right now, talking to you on a Thursday with a warm sweater on. And so I feel really grateful for the perspective that I feel like I, I got growing up. And there is also a big weight to that, right? Like there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of, when I'm like, I'm here. And when I tell you, my mom's like, you're so lucky to be here. That feels different when you're like 12 and 14, right? Cause you're like, dude, I feel bad. That's sad also. And like, you know, you did go through a lot. And what does that mean for me? Am I doing enough? So there is weight with that too. But there's a shit ton of gratitude. I, I mean this in the best way because I like a good cry. But the frequency with which your Instagram posts bring me to tears is like, it's lovely to me to have a moment from my day where I'm immersed in a thought or a story or a perspective from someone else that feels so tangible and beautiful. And it's funny because I remember a few years back, someone being like, oh, you write so much to me. And like, I'd gone to journalism school. So back to this, like, comparing yourself. And I was like, I never write. What are you talking about? And they were like, on Instagram. And I, I felt 
weird about the comment. I was like, oh, is this devaluing? Should I? The shoulds, like, should I myself, like, should I be writing elsewhere? But then to get the amount of, like, loveliness from you, from your posts is amazing. So I just wondering about your writing, sharing stories, telling stories. What is your relationship with stories and storytelling? This isn't all about my grandma, but a lot of things are. She always said that stories are how we pe- keep people alive. Mm. And it is, right? It's like how we keep things alive in our lives. And so I think I tell stories to remember them. Otherwise, I'll forget them. And I'm jealous for them to be remembered. Like they have to exist and live on. Otherwise, people don't exist and live on, maybe. There was like one person in my life that encouraged me to write when I was growing up. And then that, you know, it's just not a thing. It wasn't a thing. And so I never really had an outlet to write. And so I just didn't very much or I did for me and I never put it anywhere. And then sharing it felt really nice because it was the first time I felt like something was affirmed that I really cared about. So that was a really fun surprise in the middle of my life is to start publicly sharing a little bit more and people feeling good or happy or entertained or thoughtful about it. I don't think I could ever consider myself a writer because I'm like severely plagued by imposter syndrome. And I also can't write unless I like think of something or I feel something. And I cry all the time when I write too, Faith. So like that, like I cry, like people are like, that made me cry. I cried. We, <laughs> I cried when I wrote it. I feel like we're, not only is, does, you know, the storytelling for me help keep things living, but it also helps me work out some of the stuff in my mind. And so it's fun to share it because I'm like, maybe it will help other folks that are maybe processing the same thing or not. But but it has been like a, a good form of therapy for me to be able to write what I'm feeling or what I'm thinking about. And it's a really, really um, comforting experience to put that out there. And then people will be like, oh, I like this. Like, Really? Cool. cool. I, I thought you were just here from my dog. Like, that's so sweet. The, the past two years have been hard for writing for me. I still feel like I write stuff. I just, I don't really have the emotional bandwidth to share as much anymore. And I was sad about that and mad about that for a while. And now I'm like very much okay with it. I think it's, it's okay for me to protect whatever little shards I feel like I have left in 2022 of my soul. So th- that's where I feel now. It's still comforting. I think I, I don't have this as much space for it in this season in life. Totally. I, I love like the getting to the the point of being like, this is okay. Like contentment. But I think similarly with the pandemic, like I've been in that place with running for a while and recently it was like, it's totally okay if I'm not running all the time. And people have told me that and asked me like, why are you so, what is the problem? But getting there yourself to be like, actually like what you just said about protecting the shards of emotional bandwidth that you have, like that has to be okay to do. It is. It is. And we deserve to do that. It just, we were used to something, something different for, for a long time. And it was lovely. And it's still lovely. It's still lovely just different. I think, Faith, one of the things you wrote that was about running was like, um, how beautiful it is that I've allowed myself to do that. I think I'm paraphrasing with something very similar. And that is both of you, both of you I find very inspiring to read your writing because I feel like the, that is such a beautiful thing. And it is in that way, like a radical act. What a beautiful, lovely thing it is to have let that go or to have found this new part of myself. And I loved that. And I think especially in the pandemic, especially these past couple years, absolutely resonates so much. Yeah. And it takes a while to get there. And then I think there's like a moment or a series of moments or like returning to, hey, (laughs) it's okay, you know, to change, to evolve. And it's okay, I think, to mourn past versions of ourselves. Yeah. Interesting. Not in a way that's like resentful, but in a way that appreciates what was and what is now. I joke, but I'm not joking that I'm like a really good friend to myself. Like I love hanging out with me. I'm really nice to me and I'm comforting and kind and gracious. And when I'm, I'm like, this is a really nice person to be around. I hope all the variations of me is also a good friend to myself. Like I hope all eight of me, maybe over the next 40 years, is still a really good friend to hang out with. 
That's so cool. I do <laughs> love that. So I do love that. I want to yeah. write down. So I want to frame these. <laughs> At least we have this recorded to listen to again and again because I will be. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. yeah. Brief interruption to say we have a Patreon. We do. One thing we learned about making podcasts is it's not cheap. We make guest profile videos that go along with each episode because we know that visual representation matters, but also not cheap. What we're saying is we'd love your support. We want to do more. More episodes, more behind the scenes, more conversations together. Our entry-level tier is $3, and that truly goes a long way in helping us keep learning and unlearning together. We'll be offering things like Instagram Lives, subscriber-only digital hangouts, think of these like interactive fireside chats, access to member-only blog posts, additional resources, and more. There may even be merch. Merch! So you don't want to miss out. Visit patreon.com slash the trail ahead to check it out and learn more about the levels of support. Thank you all for listening, for supporting these conversations, and for supporting us. We love making the podcast, and we firmly believe that we can bring more inclusivity to the outdoors and help us all feel that we belong outside together. One awesome conversation at a time. It's Faith. I want to talk to you a little bit about some of my favorite feelings. I love the feeling of sun on my skin, mud oozing between my toes, that first step putting your feet into a cold river, or standing by the ocean and squealing as the water hits your toes. I feel like those moments let me reconnect with myself and my inner child. Being outside, connecting with the great outdoors, that's one of my most powerful forms of self-care. That's how I reset. We love working with Meryl on the trail ahead because Meryl is all about that OG self-care, connecting with nature. And now more than ever, it's so important for us to get outside and reconnect with ourselves and others, away from the screens, the apps, the endless deluge of emails. And if you need some new gear to get you excited about getting out the door, we'd love to introduce you to Meryl. For first timers, get 20% off online at Meryl.com using the code TRAILAHEAD20. I think this connects into something that we've touched on and we talk a lot about on the podcast is the idea of what being outdoorsy means. Because I think I'm more in past selves of me that were like the back to accomplishment, all these things in the outdoors and the races and the trail adventures and whatnot. And I think there's this sense now, as we start to open up this conversation, there's the connection between contentment and opening the aperture on what being outdoorsy means. I think all of this is interconnected. The pressures we feel to do things that count. And even if it's former selves pressure, the pressure we feel from that. But Noelle, just curious your thoughts on what it means to you to be, quote, outdoorsy. I always get a little bit like dumbfounded that we got here to the point where like being outdoorsy is like a category that you can fit and not fit into. It's outside. We've all been here. When I was little, my mom would get Eddie Bauer and L.L. Bean catalogs. And I would look through it and I would see all these people, like people doing all this stuff. Like, why don't we do that stuff? I want to be outdoorsy. And she opened the door of the kitchen and she's like, go outside. (laughs) Okay. And I'm like, no, I don't want to be like outdoors like that. Meanwhile, I think back to that story. I'm like, I was raised in the forest playing outside all day because it wasn't much to do inside. And my mom would not let us play inside. You had to go away. She needed us to go away. And so that we were like as outdoorsy as it Like we built forts and caught bugs and stuff. But like being outdoorsy is going outside. And it looks like so many different things. And I'm so upset that people feel like they don't belong. Outdoorsy is gardening and is is agriculture, right? Like my mom worked in the fields of the Central Valley forever. That's outdoorsy. 
I joke that why isn't biking like the soccer of sports? Like, but why isn't biking that of the outdoors? You can get a used bike. You can bike anywhere. And it shouldn't be this like you have to bike. How did it get to be that? Because soccer, you have a soccer ball, you can play soccer. That's why it's everyone's sport. If you can run, you're a runner. Enjoying your like existence as a human being outside is being outdoorsy. When we continue to pop up these categories and qualifications to being outdoorsy, it's really upsetting how exclusive that is and, and how there's very little space for, for people in a place that everyone has always belonged. Nature is us. It's literally you and me and the plant that's hanging by my computer and my dogs. Like, we are all nature. We don't go into nature. We participate in nature. We have various experiences of being outdoors. There's not all these boxes that we fill or that we check off or that qualifies as whatnot. And we deserve to think about it that way, lest we continue to marginalize and compartmentalize whole beings and whole species and whole experiences. Sitting in the park with your baby, pushing your kid on a stroller and stopping at the park and sitting down is a brilliant outdoor experience for you and your child and deserves to also be on the cover of like Outside Magazine. It just does. Teresa Baker always says, we've been outside. It's not like, let's bring more BIPOC folk into the outdoors. Like, we're outside, people. Mm -hmm. Let's start to push out the walls that we've created around what qualifies as outdoorsy and say, like, and then the gatekeeping where people feel very, I think, Mm -hmm. visceral in the response of, like, no, outdoorsy isn't everything. Like, what if it is? Does that ruin something for you? Because it doesn't, for me, maybe it's cuter. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. Like, does it ruin something for you that we're redefining something? And I think it it does for some people, but I think that idea of ruining comes from this, like, lack of realization of the privilege in the first place. And one of the ones that I remember, I went fishing with a friend and it was great and was told, don't tell anyone about this place because my grandpa would be, like, so mad because we've been coming here for so long. And I was like, at the time, I I didn't even like really question it or think about it much. And then like later and later years, and not that he comes from an extremely privileged family, but I remember later hearing things like that being common. So people being like upset, for example, that Yosemite, right, the most like famous national park in this country, that it's hard for them to get like a campsite now because their grandparents have been coming there for years. And and I remember, like, thinking, where was my grandfather when your grandfather was doing that, right? Like, let's think about what my grandfather might have been doing where he wasn't able to camp. Oh, A, because it was segregated. B, because he was fighting for his life. You know, so the the idea of, like, my experience is being ruined now because things have changed. If someone were to like actually look at it, they might realize how absurd it is to feel that way and how privileged, which is such a coded and heightened word that it's real, like people get freaked out. I love kind of the words that people like freak out around too, because I'm like, that is so fascinating that like I said that word and then like your face contorted. It's so fascinating. What is ruined for you if a a woman with a baby carriage is on the front of Outside Magazine in the park and you can maybe see a building in the background? If you're a mountain biker or a skier or a a hiker or whatever, you still love those things for what they are. And it doesn't challenge anything about who you are. It shouldn't that more people get to be part of that too I think that back to exclusivity right like yeah if it's for everyone is it still special the answer is yes (laughs) like it is it and it and something as lovely and accessible as being outside and as inclusive as being outside is should deserves to be for everyone and if you're bothered about everybody being in Yosemite or if you own a cabin on a lake and now the beaches are just packed all the time think about What's bothering you? Right. Because 
probably that experience of what's ruined was extremely exclusive, extremely privileged, most likely white, probably definitely white. Both of you have described this. It's the personal affront that I have heard from people. Like I've actually heard a lot of people say this in the pandemic. They will all remain nameless, but I have heard this sense of exactly what we're talking about right now. Oh, what a bummer. And what, gosh, it's too bad that this is happening. And there's so much in that, that it's so hard to unpack because I get very frustrated when I hear it. And I think like fishing, it happens, backcountry skiing all the time. Don't tell anyone where these lines are because I'm going to go ski fresh powder myself. My favorite is, and I went on a rant to this about this recently, but it's like tag responsibly keep Colorado wild. This makes my blood, ugh. And I had to explain this, why this was such a problematic gatekeeping method. It's one thing not to tag a location. It's another thing to say tag responsibly. Faith, to your, to your point, it's really back to something Salema said in an episode we did with Salema Masakela, who said that white blanket of comfort must be so cozy that you will stop at nothing to not take it off, to keep it on you. You can only imagine how comfortable that is, that you go to these great lengths to keep it on you at all times, and you will fight to preserve that feeling of white comfort. And it's so true. And it's like that personal affront of like, something's being taken away from me, that more people are outside. It, I mean, yeah, I, I, I also get really upset about the use of the word wild or the championing of wilderness and like keep Colorado wild. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like going back to yep. what, like the yep. purification of what what an experience in the outdoors is. You said, God forbid there'd be a building in the photo of someone outdoors. Like and back to the connections with like nature. Nature is all around us and we are participatory in it. But nature is not a pristine, untouched place that only so many people are allowed into. I think just working on like us even unpacking the way the way that we speak about things when we speak in the outdoors. One of the companies I work for is the Outbound Collective. And we really work on challenging a lot of these narratives that we share where we'll say like where people will say crystalline lakes and you can hike forever and not see a single soul. And we're like, oh yeah, no. Like they're they're that's not it, folks. Like that that is a very colonial like view of being outside and what experiences of outdoors should be. And it's dangerous and it's racist. Yes. A bunch of people at a lake that are picking up their trash at the end of the day and that their dogs are well-behaved or on leash or maybe they don't have their dogs because they're not allowed. And people are being mindful of the people next to them. That's a wonderful experience of nature that's equitable and inclusive. None of these experiences are just for you. And adding more barriers to people being able to access them is not the way. So there's a book that we have here called Wilderness in the American Mind. And it's like the whole like history basically of the world of wilderness in the United States. My friends that are leaders in the indigenous community do spend a lot of time talking about that. And mm-hmm. I feel like deserve to be amplified much more than me sitting here talking using my words. But I do think that people deserve to lean in and listen and challenge and also resist that feeling like Faith you're saying when you say privilege and people are like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. When we work out, One of my yoga teachers always says, you push yourself to the edge, not over the edge. You don't hurt yourself, but you get to that edge because that's where you're challenging yourself. Hearing the word privilege, challenging your ideologies around like wilderness and nature. If it feels like you're at your edge, philosophically or theologically, that's good. Like push that edge just a teeny bit. When you push yourself to your edge a little bit, it's not bad. It's good for your body. You're learning and you're expanding and you're becoming more flexible. I feel like we can do that in our own hearts and minds when someone says, maybe you shouldn't think about it that way. We can try not to think about it that way or learn about what other folks are sharing in in those spaces. For me, that's (laughs) been really awakening. And I know we're just nitpicking words, but I love words. And so I want to be careful about the words that we use. It's so welcomed. The idea of if we're reading magazine articles, to your point, describing something as crystalline or pure or wild and then equaling that as a positive. There's just so many ways that we can start to change this and say, like, 
The hills were dotted with people. How incredible. What about changing it to that? Why has it become that sense of this is good and then wild equals good or pristine equals good? And and there's so many problems with that. So I think thank you for changing the language that you are because that is a pervasive change in the industry. I think that is something we can absolutely do. All of us can do right now to change. And it's a small thing, but I think it will have impacts over time. I hope so. I'm really grateful for the leaders that do use their voice in these spaces and what we get to learn. While you're saying that, I was thinking about that, like with a brand on a post that I'm like, hiking isn't this. You can stroll, walk, roll, ride your way through a hike. And people were like, no, no, no. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, guys, what, what's going on here? It is this. And that's okay. Again, like, what does that take away from you that you can't push a stroller or ride along a trail, whether you're in a wheelchair or on a bike, like you're still having this same experience of the outdoors as folks around you. And Devasu always says access is love. And that is what it is. And I think if we think about that when we're looking at hills dotted with people or someone is coming up behind us on the trail with their, you know, little Bluetooth speaker, If access is love, when they're redoing a parking lot to be able to make more spaces for people to move in and out of bathrooms or whatnot, like this is, it's good. It's different. It shouldn't be the thing that makes it less valuable. It's just, it's valuable to more people. And maybe if you valued them, you would find value in that too. Very well said. Very well said. I think this question of what can I do to change things comes up a lot and it's asked a lot. And I don't ask it to very many people because it is an exhausting question. I don't know how to answer it. Like I have my answers. And I think with people who spend a lot of time answering that question, I'll ask it more. And sometimes with people who like I know are asked, I'm like, what's your go-to answer when people say like, what can I do to change things? But one of the things that you were saying about discomfort made me think a lot about, I was talking to someone recently who started running during the pandemic and was having some different body aches. And I mentioned to them the book, you know, Born to Run, which is wonderful and problematic also in different ways, but that in that book, they say like for every other sport we know, or we think that we maybe have to learn to do it. Like you wouldn't necessarily go jump into a lacrosse game tomorrow without someone explaining to you a little bit about how to play lacrosse. But with running, we have been running our whole lives in some capacity. Sometimes we ran down the street maybe, or like we ran for the bus or whatever. So we're like, oh, we know how to run. And then very often we go and hurt ourselves and we're like, oh, running's not for me. And so sometimes something like a gait analysis, if you're trying to start running a lot, like a gait analysis could be a really helpful thing to do because then you might be realizing that like your heel strike is affecting your knee and that's why your knee's hurting. It's not because running's not for you. It's because there's a way to potentially readjust your steps per minute and help out your heel strike and then you can run more. So there's like all of these things that I think about and that it is similar in this idea of trying to be a better ally or co-conspirator and having this idea of, oh my gosh, wow, the blank industry, like I'm the head of a cycling club in wherever and there's no people of color, like what do I do? Sometimes I'm like, Let's think about what's the gradual, effective way for you to do it. And why is it that people like, sometimes it's annoying to me because I'm like, you're not going to be a DEI champion tomorrow. You started today. Like you just started. You are not an Olympian in the DEI Olympics, which by the way, doesn't exist. So good luck trying (laughs) to get this gold medal. But like... It is life work, right? It is life work. I also hope that sometimes that takes some of their pressure off to be like, you, this goal that you've set to create parity or at least reflection or whatever it is in your group, A, that might 
that's a good goal. It might not be the right goal. It might not happen. And there might be a lot of other things that have to change before you get there. And so all of that to say, what are some of the things that you suggest or say to people or just like you cannot answer a question and just respond to to this idea maybe of the DEI Olympics, which I had never thought about until this very moment. But. People would love if there was a DEI Olympics and they could win something. Totally. I think leading with curiosity is a really lovely way to help champion change. And I think that leading with curiosity pushes against our immediate recoil to like have a, have an answer, have a fix, know the right way. It challenges a, like binary thinking. What if there was, what if this and this could be true? Or what if there's another truth that I don't know or that, I think what you're saying about running is really interesting. Cause I think when we run, we're just like running, we're looking ahead and we're moving and we don't have really a lot of self-awareness. I think gate analysis helps us, but also like in the same vein, like how are your shoulders? How do they feel? Is your jaw clenched? How are you leaning forward because you're tired? That will hurt. You know, are you like, are you like present in your body while you're Mm. moving? Because you can listen to yourself and go like, well, what if my, I augment my heel strike a teeny bit? Or what if I lean back a little bit? I think that's allowing ourselves to try a new thing and be curious about if I change this or I try this on. That doesn't mean that's the way, right? There's Mm -hmm. 15 other, I run past people every day on my runs that I'm like, you run very different than me and you seem extremely comfortable and I'm very comfortable, right? Um, Good for you. But I think that being curious about what else could work or trying Mm -hmm. on something new is a really, is a really compassionate way to, to help move things forward towards a common goal. Let's be better together. And curiosity also really pushes against this like fight or flight response to something different, right? If you're curious, can you be wrong? Can you be wrong when you're curious? You can't. Also, there's no right or wrong. Wah, wah. Sorry, everyone who loves things that are right or wrong. But you can't be wrong if you're curious. You can't be right if you're curious. And I think that when we engage in conversation or we're trying on perspectives or we want to learn a new thing, if we lead with curiosity, we are more compassionate to ourselves in that process and more compassionate to others in the process. And we start to challenge this ideology that there's like right or wrong, good or bad. I feel like a lot of folks that ask that question too, you're like, what are you, are you trying to fix something? Because please understand. You cannot, you're not going, this is not a thing for you to fix. That Mm. approach alone, I think, to like equity, justice, inclusion work is, one, it's going to lead you to be utterly burnt out. But two, it's, it's not, you're missing the point. There's a built graffiti down my street, like five blocks down my street on San Pablo that says, love is three quarters curiosity. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I run by it every day and I think about it all the time because it's true. Because when we're thinking about 2020, and this was put up during a lot of the protests that happened literally on my street, and thinking about that if we are more curious about one another, we, we're naturally drawn to each other. And because of that, like, that's the way that we're going to be able to move the needle of like equity and inclusion and justice and work is by being more curious, if, is by loving people through that, right? Um, and so I've thought about that a lot. Back to like our feeling of pre-pandemic versus where we're at now. What if there was not a way What if there were multiple wonderful ways, right? Mm -hmm. And what if instead of holding someone to the way they used to be or the things they used to say or the things that they thought or like, who are you today? We said like, who are you today? I'd love to know. Mm. In what ways do you think about things? How do you feel about this? And leading with curiosity so that I can get to know and love the person, people, beings that, that I'm communing with. Yeah, I, I feel like it circles back to your thinking around like being a good friend to yourself or a nice friend to yourself. The ripple, like I'm being a, a nice friend to myself. I'm being a, a nice friend to my partner. I'm being a compassionate, thoughtful, curious person to my neighbor. And like the effect of that rippling out and the fact that it takes like practice to learn how to do that even with yourself. Yeah, I I really appreciate that. 
So I read The Art of Tidying in 2015 or 2016. And I remember somewhere in the very beginning, she says, you're only going to have to do this once. And so I like came into this book with the wrong mind frame. I was completely delusional. I was like, oh, so I'm only going to have to do this tidying thing once. I will open this book and read this step and it will be over. And then I was reading the book and I was like, there's no way that I can like empty my bag and thank it every day before I put it (laughs) in its place. So for me, tidying, it's not going to happen once. But it was just so funny to think that like one could say and I love Marie Kondo and loved the show, all about it. Loved to, tidying is on my to-do list, actually. So it's funny because I have a habit tracker and literally tidying is something I like try to do a little bit of every day. So I've come a long time from thinking like, you're only going to have to do this once. But yeah, the idea of like, you can fix it with literally anything just feels like such a delusion. It's like a, like... You're setting yourself up for some disappointment if you think you can fix. It's not sustainable. Not compassionate. Like, you're not being a good friend to yourself. You're going to be disappointed. And that's not fair. Contentment has really helped me be kinder to myself and less disappointed. If we accept the fact that we cannot fix things, there's different various ways to do better. Hopefully, we can be more creative on what progress looks like and what growth looks like. We can engage self-efficacy and we can honor where we're at in life by being more creative and curious about how we can approach something that, like, what good we want to come. I don't like saying good. When I say good, I don't mean it goes good and bad. But, like, what feels Mm -hmm. more like flourishing in this space can be a different answer every day and different for different people. And I'm also not being, like, what works for you works for you because I'm not about that shit. Like there, there are things that need to change folks. So like, like what works for you doesn't work a lot of times. So make sure you like poke holes in that stuff, but don't beat yourself up over the fact that like you read three books two years ago and you're like, why am I not like this? Cause welcome to being a human being <laughs> and it doesn't work like that. And that's okay. Totally. It's so funny because we, Addie and I as hosts, have learned a lot. Last year, we would research the shit out of our guests, and then we'd come up with a billion questions. Billions, plural. And then we'd attempt to ask them Mm -hmm. about every thread of a thought. And this year, one of the things that we would come up with themes instead, and I think we're a lot more like, oh, we can just talk about a couple of things and that's, and that's okay, great. right? <laughs> yeah. So there's all these things even today, I think we were like, oh, we'll ask her about this and this. But it's, it's funny because now that I'm thinking, one of the things I really like about your introduction, I'd say like early on before we had even met or maybe after we had met like I realized that I couldn't describe what you do. And I think that's cool that, you know, reading your bio or whatever else, but I like, I'd be like, no, Russell, yeah, this is this. But I couldn't see like, oh no, does X, Y, Z. She bikes, she works at X company and she drinks like this kind of coffee. I couldn't define or, or pin you down in this specific way, which I think is really nice. And I think as someone who also is like, doesn't fit in a box really well, but is constantly like dealing with either trying myself or like other people trying to. I thought that it was like cool that I couldn't like neatly wrap up like the two sentence bio Noel. That's why I say I have two dogs because I feel like I... (laughs) That is true today and now. (laughs) Yeah, my one of my good friends, she always says we should stop asking people what they do and we should ask them what they like. And that's my favorite because I'm like, I do feel a little of anxiety about not having um, uh, someone. So what do you do? Ooh, I eat bean burritos a lot. Like a lot. I don't know. (laughs) But I don't want to, I don't have anything to offer you there, but I do have a lot of things I like. And I do also find a lot of comfort in knowing people like you, Faith, because I'm like, I could try to tell people what you do, but like, I would feel like I totally, it's a wild disservice to like what you do. So I feel like I would want to show them. You have to meet my friend. Like you have to like watch a film, listen to a thing, look at a photo, read something. That's how you get to get a taste of 
all that you are. So I like that reframe or hearing that reflected back to me because most of the time I'm like, oh shit, I'm gonna have to say who I, what I am or something. And all I can say is I have two dogs. Totally. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so great to get to spend more time with you, Noel. I've been looking for this conversation for literally a year since we oh, saw each other too. last year. So yeah. I'm so happy we got to do this. And it was really yeah. wonderful speaking with you both. This is like by far my favorite conversation I've had in a long time. For this season, we're going to add in a closing segment called The Debrief. Normally, we'll take this time to jump into something our guest has said and go a little bit deeper or chat through something like a question from a listener and reflect on that as a starter for the conversation. It's really interesting, Faith, because one of the things that has come up time and again throughout the pandemic is this idea of, oh, the trails are so crowded now. The parking lots are overflowing. It's not the same. I don't want to go back to these trails. I don't want to be out here with all these people. And this came up in our conversation with Noel. And I have conversations with folks about this where it is that fine line between like, I get it. It's not always fun to be on a super crowded trail. But the reality of it is that so many more folks have been able to get outside and there has been increased access, arguably, in the pandemic. And I think that's wonderful. So how do we balance the idea of getting more folks outside and also doing it in an intentional way? I have started to sort of stand up in that conversation and say, well, interesting, let's unpack that a little bit more. Why does that bother you or, or what does that kind of do to you as someone who's also enjoying the outdoors? This question of gatekeeping is one that's been around for a while and, you know, gatekeeping the idea of certain people with knowledge are going to keep that knowledge for themselves versus share it. And in the outdoor context, the idea of it being where a good place to either hike or to fish or to do something that maybe you need a little help to figure out where to go Um if you think about it in a different context, people do this all the time with like the minute that your favorite restaurant gets put mm -hmm. on like a top 10 restaurants in Portland list, then it's like, oh, no, everyone knows about this restaurant <laughs> now. Yeah. And it's like actually like, you know, maybe that's good for the waiters, right? Maybe that's good for the people that work there. But like, you know, did you found the restaurant? No. <laughs> So like you don't get to decide who goes to the restaurant and who doesn't and when the restaurant is busy and when the restaurant isn't busy. Like that's not your decision. And so I think there have been a lot of like democratizing tools that have done the same thing for hiking, everything from all trails to Onyx to like MTB project and things that have made the idea of going on a backpacking trip and you can go on, you can join a Facebook group and people can tell you how to do it, that has increased. And I think specifically during the pandemic, we were literally being told like the safest place to go is yeah. to spend time outside. Mm -hmm. And I think that laid bare a lot of inequities around who has access to outside, who has a patch of grass to sit on or even a deck or mm -hmm. who has access to trails? What does it mean to have to stay in place when for some people, you know, 1K from your door, there's a hiking trail. And for other people, there's not a park. There's not a green space within like, you know, a 1K area from, from where you live. If people were taking all that in mind, they wouldn't necessarily make these flippant statements about mm – -hmm oh, it's so annoying. You can't even park at blah, 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 park anymore. It's like, all right, yeah, that happened to me too. And you know what? I go at different times now. Right, right. <laughs> totally. And I, I think the the access piece, I mean, it it becomes almost a little bit hypocritical because I think there's a strong sentiment that I'm seeing within the outdoor industry and our podcast speaks to this of we want to get more folks outside. We want to increase this access. We want to increase the, the knowledge base. No longer is it necessarily about who do you know and kind of like what groups are you in? That's that's starting to change, which is incredible. But I also see folks that maybe were 
were in those exclusive circles starting to say these sentiments about, yeah, I, I can't go anymore. Or, oh, it's not the same. And we can't have both of those things. We can't have, oh, it's so great that there's increased access and well, but my my access has changed. Like I think we need to change this conversation towards one of understanding that, yeah, this is what it means to get more people outside. And this is what it means to increase access. But it's so hard for me to hear this from from people that I'm pretty close to in my life in some cases. This sentiment of my experience has been detracted from by all of these folks outside. And I think it's really worth unpacking in a deeper way because if we don't, if we don't challenge that, then we're going to just create a whole new sense of the status quo or the exclusivity or the gatekeeping that has been within the outdoor industry for decades now. People just have to realize that like you don't own any right. single trail. Like it it wasn't created for you. And if it becomes crowded, like maybe you should celebrate the fact that more people are, you know, enjoying a thing that you also enjoy. And maybe then you as the expert, right? The person with the experience what are you then doing to create more opportunities, more places? Okay, what are you advocating for? Like write a letter to the city about how there needs to be more green spaces. When you are the expert, which I say expert meaning mm -hmm. like you've been there for X amount of time, right? Because there's a lot of like this separation between who we consider to be new and who we consider yep. to be expert, which I think is also really problematic. Right. Um, but, you know, so there's even like coded language in terms of who we're calling new. But if you've been around for a long time, you're an OG, you're an old head when it comes to hiking. What are you doing then to support hiking as an activity? Move yourself to the next level then and don't just sit around complaining, but figure out how you can support increased access, increased areas, more protections, more ease of transportation to places where people can't get to otherwise. Like who's creating a trail nearby that needs you to advocate for them by joining their board? You know, like there are so many proactive things. Yes. yes. And I do think there needs to be a mentality shift around this because I think a lot of people, this is just maybe this is me being cynical, but I feel like a lot of people would potentially hear that and say, but I don't even want to increase access. So why would I help out with this? Because obviously we can all walk around and say that, but then in reality, what I'm hearing is people saying like, they actually don't want to increase access because they want their trails to be empty and wild and pristine to use language that Noel talks about in the episode. And I loved how Noel said, we need to use different language and we need to change the way that we idealize the outdoors. What if what if we change it to, to reflect that, oh, a beautiful mountainside is one that's dotted with other people enjoying the outdoors. So yes, to your point, there's those are amazing action items and very tangible, actionable things that we can do if if we or or if someone might be very experienced in this area. And I also think there's a collective mindset shift that we need to challenge each other on and, and come to together if possible, because I do think the more that we can frame, reframe this for the next generation, even thinking about that, I think that's going to be really powerful as well. Changing it from complaining or, or frustration and annoyance at this occurrence, I think it's about reframing and saying, okay, what can I do? How can I continue to in, uh, contribute to hiking or surfing? When I think about fishing, I immediately go to like, why do we have these herding salmon runs in the first place? Mm -hmm. Like who overfished them in mm -hmm. the first place mm -hmm. so that we now have, who put on in all these dams? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. so that we now have all of these issues and we're being super protective of fishing spots because the runs, like the, the groups of salmon have depleted so much because of colonization. Like, so it's just, you know, I think my, my immediate response in. to yeah. everything becomes like solutions oriented. And then my secondary response is this like frustration and what I mentioned earlier, because I'm just like, bruh, it's your fault. <laughs> you know, like, like, I just like, it just like makes me so mad. You know, there's this larger solutions oriented approach, but in terms of a culture change, I think there's always a question of like, cool. So what do you, what's your little yeah. action that you can take mm -hmm. in the face totally. of something like that? If you're going to go on an entire hike and complain about the other people who are in the same place as you, 
and you can't see that, like, (laughs) get over yourself. Yeah. This is hilarious and very accurate. And, (laughs) And though, I think you're spot on with this is that I have said or sort of stood up to certain people or started to have these conversations with people in my life. And for the, those that are listening, thank you for having these conversations with me because they're very close friends in some instances. And I really respect them and wanted to hear their, their opinion and talk through this with them. And I do think that that is a tiny baby mini action we can all take is if we start to be aware of folks expressing these sentiments or, you know, saying these statements we can we can start to push back. And this this is not just about gatekeeping. This actually goes to pretty much everything we've talked about on the podcast and every conversation in this regard. In some cases, as you know, I'm very vocally encouraging of all of us white folks to start to have certain conversations that we might not be comfortable having. But I think in this case, there is really this universality of anyone who is starting to have this realization around access and around increasing access I I would encourage us all to start to stand up. And when I say that, I mean, as you're shutting the car door and locking the car to head on the hike, if someone says something to this end, challenge them or, mm-hmm. or ask why. And that that's all it has to be. It's just about engaging in these conversations. Even those small actions make a huge difference and start to change other people's mindsets. And that's how we're going to make this happen. But it's not going to be overnight. That's for oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. The Trail Ahead is created and hosted by us, Faith E. Briggs and Addie Thompson. It's produced by Anna Agogo at Adode Media. Stephanie Aguilar is our editor and sound designer. Podcast art is by Shar Tuiasawa. Check her out on Instagram at Punky Aloha. Special thanks to our amazing partners at Merrill. Thank you also to our team on the visual side, Tyler Wilkinson-Ray and Fred Gorris behind the cameras, and Jillian Sorrell, who edits our video profiles. For updates and additional links, visit trailaheadpodcast.com. Send us a note via Instagram at at trailahead underscore podcast, and please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash thetrailahead. Thank you for listening and for spreading the word. Don't forget to check out our video profiles we make about each of our guests. And to all of our incredible guests, thank you. You make the world better. See you next episode.